listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please see the Parents Menu at ICDL.com, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, for the virtual floor time consultations for parents. There you can schedule an appointment, look at the virtual DIR home program services, and see the weekly parent support meetings registration. We aim to help you implement the developmental individual differences relationship-based model at home, taking into account where your child is developmentally and their individual sensory processing differences within your safe and nurturing relationship to promote and support their developmental potential. Welcome back. This is Daria Brown, and this week I have occupational therapist Alicia Payaro, who is the assistant director of Little Buddies Pediatric Therapy, a DIR occupational therapy practice just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia. And we're back this week with part two of a developmental approach to toileting. If you missed last week, please go back and check it out at affectautism.com, a developmental approach to toileting part one. I actually have a question from an Affect Autism member. The parent says, maybe this is more external sensory than interoception. We've been working on toileting with our four-year-old daughter. Right now, she's using a small training toilet throughout the day. She's mostly non-speaking, so she will either lead us to it by hand when she needs to go or sit on it by herself. Sitting down on it does not appear to bother her. However, as soon as she starts to go, she covers her ears and starts screaming. She also does this if a bath or other faucet is running in the house. When washing hands, we start the faucet at a very slow trickle and then gradually increase the water to avoid the loud noise. She has noise canceling headphones, but generally doesn't like to wear them. So we typically just sit with her while she's using the toilet and do our best to comfort her in the moment and be present. Is there anything else we can do to make the process a little easier or less stressful for her? Mm, good question. I've got some detective work again, I guess, to kind of like some guests and testing is what I'd encourage parents to play with a little bit there. It sounds like there's um, kind of the lowest hanging fruit, so to speak, the, the big target there is it sounds like there's some pretty strong auditory sensitivities um, and that especially when it's a sudden noise, the faucet suddenly turning on or the urine suddenly falling into the toilet, um, maybe quite startling even for her. Um, and so how might we play with that? And when she releases the urine, she has that same startled response. Um, you know, and so how might we play with that? I guess there's, there's different things that you could do. Um, and it's going to be around trying to figure out what's going to make sense. What I think is fantastic and that I want to commend mom and dad on is that despite this, it sounds like little one is still independently going to sit on the potty, which is fantastic. Um, we haven't seen kind of that complete aversion. No way I'm not going anywhere near that thing. So that's, that's great. Um, you know, and every time she goes and sits on that toilet, we want to do that little subtle celebration. Oh, you're on the potty, right? I wonder if you need to go pee pee or whatever your family language might be. Um, you could experiment a little bit with adding some other auditory input for her in that moment that she might be able to focus on. Um, so dampening headphones is one way, kind of limiting um, the intensity of that stimuli, but it can be sometimes really helpful in the auditory world to give kind of a different stimuli to focus on. That's sometimes why we hum when we're in a really loud space even. If I'm humming away, um, it does allow my brain to kind of focus on that sound that I'm generating because I'm always listening and kind of tweaking. Do I want to change the tone of what I'm humming? Maybe I'll hum a bit louder like this. Oh, that note wasn't quite right. Um, could play with that kind of piece if it's helpful for her to be making some different sounds while she's starting. You um, could experiment a little bit too, even with if she sits on the potty to slowly turn on that faucet nearby um, in the same manner that they've found as being a successful way to introduce that sound. If she sits down, we might say, oh, I'm gonna turn it on just a little bit and go through that slow kind of building up 
um, to almost kind of mimic that slow building that she might go through when she's releasing her urine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. It, it does sound like though that's great and I continue to encourage parents to just kind of continuing to try to cultivate that calm in that moment with their child of, oh, you know, yeah, you don't really like that, but I've got you, right? We're, we're safe here and having your hands on your child's hands or maybe on their hips and doing a little bit of gentle rocking back and forth which can just be really calming for the body um, so that we're still kind of giving her some of those tools that she might need to help cope with that other kind of distress piece. Um, I've heard from some families, this is you know, not necessarily a tried and true um, piece of advice, um, but that have put um, a piece of paper towel folded up inside those training potties um, or even a couple pieces so that it's not that sudden noise on plastic. So sort of to dampen the sound of, of the urine falling in. Yeah. 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 Um, can make cleanup a little bit easier, admittedly, too. If it's if it's just a small release, you just scoop up that paper towel and take it to the bathroom. Um, yeah. So a little bit of experimenting with that one and kind of following the child's lead there. And it sounds like she's doing a great way, kind of paving the way and letting us know that she's she's making sense of this and that it's she continues to kind of have that motivation. I, I, I kind of want to sit on that. And that lets me know she's she's working on it and chewing on it. So just going to be really dependent on her people to be able to co-regulate through that through that experience, um, you know. And with more and more of those experiences of, okay, hey, I did that, and well, that one wasn't quite as bad. Oh, and that that one, okay, that one happened too, and I guess it wasn't quite as bad. Each one of those memories will build up, and over time, that kind of that positive memory bank will start to flavor that next experience because now the association with hey I kind of need to pee goes into that memory oh hey I did it once like that and once when I was rocking with mom and once when we were here together um, those come to the forefront instead of those kind of those negative memories that sometimes would come in of when this happens I just scream mom gets startled I start to cry I can see my mom is really worried about me <laughs> We want to try to shift the tables a little bit to that other side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have another question sort of shifting forward now about a decade. <laughs> <laughs> so what about kids who <clears throat> they're a little bit older, they're not teenagers yet, uh, they need assistance in the bathroom and it may or may not be the same person at the school or community center or respite place or whatever that is watching your child. Um, obviously, as parents, we have concerns about random strangers seeing our children sitting yeah. on a toilet, exposing their you know body areas. Um, is there any way, I guess, a few different things, like what can we do as parents I mean, to give tips, but also uh, for our child's awareness, because if our child has only experience has been going to the bathroom in front of any old stranger, they may not know that it's a private place. Yeah. Um, even if they're going in private and the, the person is sort of closing the door and saying, do you need help? It's still a stranger being with them through that intimate experience. Yeah, maybe I don't know if intimate is the right word to talk about. Absolutely. You know, and this is a huge, huge area of importance. And um, yeah, I guess, you know, is it's important for us to start to model um, the importance of privacy, right? And the ethics of touch is a common way to refer to it. Um, early, early on. Um, and even for our children that might be kind of seemingly unaware um, that it's it's a problem that different people are coming and going. Um, it was once, it kind of reminds me, I was once I did a school visit, we were working on some toileting for a little one. Um, and this was a concern that the parents were having as their child was getting older, like, who's taking my kid to the washroom? Are there limits on this? Um, because I know my child, pretty happy-go-lucky, kind of happy to be with anybody. And you know, right, mom and dad are saying from our experience, that doesn't change when she's in the bathroom, but but that's really scary as parents to know that because she's not going to be the one to ring those alarm bells. Um, you know, and the school team were, 
you know, naturally and wonderfully very on board with that and wanted to create a plan around kind of, you know, designated personnel that had specific training from parents and right myself as the professional on the team around what steps to go through and what we're working on next and building independence in the bathroom. So that was all fantastic. Um, but what was, you know, what was missing, I guess, or that we were unintentionally modeling was I went and did this visit and when it was time to go to the bathroom, she was brought into the bathroom and it was timed at a time of day when there weren't other people around. So we knew we had the full bathroom just to ourselves. But then there's, you know, multiple EAs have shown up and a resource coordinator, the OT. So now there's like a bit of a powwow happening in the bathroom. <laughs> And little one is sitting on the toilet and kind of one person is starting to help. And she's maybe, you know, kind of humming and singing to herself, having a grand old time. Um, and we were problem solving in the bathroom, well-intentioned. And so we were having a conversation, door wide open, adults standing there talking, kind of poking in and out of the bathroom, um, thinking that maybe we hadn't crossed a boundary there. You know, and in retrospect, I'm almost like I'm cringing as I'm telling this because I, I certainly did cross a boundary there and I wasn't modeling privacy in a way um, that I strive to, you know, and so even in those moments, what's going to be really, really important is right from the very beginning that we're modeling personal boundaries and privacy, even if maybe our child isn't going to be the one that says I get it right away, they're not going to be the first one that says close the door we're gonna be the first one that's gonna always model when we go to the bathroom, we need to close the door, right? Or if if you're the designated person, it's I'm the EA right now and I'm working on this, um, right? We wanna go through kind of a consistent routine that adds this professional element to things that lets the child know um, kind of intuitively, experientially um, that we're doing, we're going into this process quite consciously. I'm going to close the doors. If somebody comes up, I'm going to call out immediately. Busy. We need privacy in here right now. I'll come out when we're finished. A lot of that kind of modeling right, right from the beginning and trying to stay away from those ever tempting kind of shop talk conversations while the child is in our presence trying to pee beside us. That's not really a thing we would ever want to model because that sends the message it's appropriate for a child to be exposed, sitting on a toilet, listening to adults have a conversation about something. That's not really the case, right? You know, and that's a part of the toileting journey that all children go on around making sense of, right? I can, I can pee at home um, and see mom pee and mom can be with me. Um, but if company comes over, that's when I remember mom and dad are saying, well, let's close the bathroom. That's when I know I can ask mom to come inside if I don't wanna be by myself right now. Right? We do go through that modeling and that learning process, um, but sometimes I think we, we forget about some of those social learning pieces when we're working with a child who's nonverbal or kind of seemingly in their own world. Um, you know, and what we know is that, no, no, they're paying attention and they deserve us to always be treating them as though they are completely aware of what's happening around them because they probably are, right? Um, Absolutely. Um, and do you have any tips on <clears throat> helping a child uh, learn to wipe themselves? <laughs> so they're, they're successfully toilet trained yeah. when they have to go, but they aren't yet knowing how to wipe themselves. Maybe the fine motor, the gross motor, the motor planning, the coordination isn't there yet. And so... Um, you know, you're on those last steps, like they're finally pooping in the toilet, but yeah, mom or dad, or dad, excuse me, or somebody has to still wipe, wipe their bum. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's tricky for all those components that you just spoke about. Um, and it's, you know, it is going to be important. It's a great time to call your OT into action to try to do, you know, some assessment here around what is it about the action of wiping that is so challenging for this child. Right. Sometimes it has to do with, as you mentioned, kind of the fine motor piece, being able to grasp the toilet paper effectively or rip it off the roll. Um, sometimes it's, you know, even starting kind of fundamentals, postural stability and gross motor control. We go straight to kind of fine motor control, but we always want to go kind of to the foundation um, and that ability to kind of be on the edge of the toilet and balance and maintain and reach. Whew, that's a hard thing to do. 
um, you know, especially and then going off balance when you're reaching to wipe and then once yeah. you've wiped, do you put it in the toilet or do you pick it up again and then do you get it all over your hands? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, sometimes it's that social learning piece. Um, the kids that don't find poo all that gross. I've got my one little guy. Um, he kind of now has gotten to a place of like, right, poop is supposed to go in the toilet, but like doesn't find that it smells very bad, isn't put off by the look of it, doesn't mind it on his skin, you know, and so he was one of the little guys that kind of would wipe his bum and suddenly like pop up with hands covered in poop and then lean on the wall and want to give me a high five. And at first I'm, what? No, hands here, man. Um, you know, and in that scenario, it's, you know, thinking about kind of some of that social learning for this child of, um, right, that piece of, well, poop can carry germs. Um, and so that's part of the piece that's really important that we were careful with it if we get it on our hands, because we need to make sure we put it in the toilet and we wash up. Um, yeah, so for wiping, I guess it's, you know, um, broad strokes is starting with an assessment piece and trying to kind of slow down and tease apart you know, what about wiping um, is causing some areas of difficulty and then trying to break it down as a way that I found it to be kind of really successful is just kind of starting to go step by step um, and doing some of this chaining where um, we're starting the process and providing an opportunity that invites the child to participate in the wiping. Um, and it might just be that very first step of counting out how many squares of toilet paper to pull off the roll. Um, we count together and we pull um, and that's where we're going to start right and we're just going to build kind of independence and understanding and efficacy of being able to pull an appropriate amount of toilet paper and then the caregivers jump into action do the rip we go through the whole process um, but slowly kind of over time we might be able to build off of that all right you've got this absolutely um, okay let's try ripping it off next oh well that was really easy too let's cruise past that one um, I will say it's often quite challenging to figure out a way to hold toilet paper effectively to actually wipe and that doesn't get on the kids fingers so um, I'd encourage I encourage lots of parents to try to problem solve that a little bit with their kids to try to make sense of how how are they going to hold the toilet paper um, there's kind of the classic grab a bunch squish it all up you know kind of hope for the best um, or you can wrap it around your hand. Some kids really like that approach. Um, reminds me of a little guy. We were being quite silly about it. He was really into the, um, the very hungry caterpillar. I was having a really hard time with wiping an older child. Um, I've been toilet trained for a really, really long time, but kind of a young teenager now and still was calling for mom or dad to come and help with wiping. And when we started with it, we needed to start there. Right. He, he wasn't able to effectively hold kind of a piece of toilet paper to make sure that he wouldn't get any feces on his hand. And um, he had a lot of tactile sensitivities. So that was extremely distressing if he got anything on his hand. Um, so sorry, I linked this back to the caterpillar. How do we get between A and B there? And so we're trying to think of playful ways to just practice. Right. How do I grasp this toilet paper? And what it was for us was bringing out rolls of toilet paper wrapping it around our hand because we were the caterpillar and we were going inside of our cocoon um, and as silly as it was there were weeks when our hands were wrapped up and I even wrapped up our whole bodies in toilet paper a couple times um, because that was our play sequence and we were really trying to make sense of this um, but as we were going through this wonderful sequence and turning into butterflies he was also learning a really effective way to hold toilet paper and suddenly we'd go into the bathroom and I'd get to use different language. Oh, time for the cocoon. And he knew immediately what that meant. Oh, I've got to put my cocoon on my hand. So there's a lot of power in play for breaking up these steps, I think, and kind of ways to bring it out of the bathroom a little bit to build those component skills, so to speak, of being able to effectively right, wipe or pulling up and down our pants. Um, yeah. Um, I, I guess the last thing I'd like to leave listeners with is, and, you know, maybe we could have started with this, <clears throat> the, the parents number one concern I find is how do I get my child toilet trained, right? They want to rush the process and our kids just aren't ready yet. 
So how do you really convey that to a parent who's like, no, that's not an option. They have to be toilet trained. I'm not sending them to school if they're not toilet trained. Or sometimes there's requirements, like you can't be in a public school classroom if you're not toilet trained, or you can't take swimming lessons if you're not toilet trained. And parents that really want to push that, but maybe the child just isn't ready yet. And, and like I said, my, my son was seven till he was out of diapers. A lot of parents are saying this at age three, and I'm thinking three, that's expecting a lot sometimes. Um, yeah, I guess when it comes to toilet training as well, the good news for parents is um, we can start at any time. Um, and there is going to be always something that we can be working on towards the overarching goal of independent toilet training. Um, and I do need to be quite honest with families, you know, that this is this is the long game. Um, and it's, you know, we're starting from scratch here, your child is now Eight, and they've been going in their diapers for eight years of their life. That routine is ingrained. This is exactly what we need to do. Um, so try to check in with ourselves and remember just how hard it is to change a habit and change a routine for ourselves because that's what we're slowly unpacking. But I always kind of put that this but there. That doesn't mean we can't start building independence today but we're not gonna be at that finish line tomorrow necessarily. Um, and it's extremely empowering for children and families, I think, to be able to recognize and feel and experience, right? Um, okay, so my child maybe isn't quite ready to be out of diapers, but wow, every time that they know their diaper has changed, they're letting me know, or they're wandering into the bathroom now, they've never done that before. They're trying to pull toilet paper off the roll and they're counting with me. And suddenly, for the first time in eight years, my child is participating in their toileting routine. That is huge, 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 huge. And so there are, there are always things that we can be working on. Um, that finish line might not come as quickly as we want it to necessarily, right? That, that will take some time, especially, again, if we want to do it in a way that um, builds intrinsic motivation to do so, um, but we can certainly get started today. Um, kind of as young or at any developmental level, um, any FEDC kind of that we're at, there are things that we can be doing. Um, I guess that last piece and this kind of brings me to another kind of one of my big, big examples um, of a client that I've been working with who's, whose parents are in that space and kind of came to me in that headspace of, I'm just done, Alicia. Like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. He's going into grade five. You know, he's now no longer go, allowed to go to many of the programs that he was eligible for in the past because they're now saying he's too old for us to be helping him in the bathroom. Um, it just doesn't seem like he wants to go and I'm done. And it's gross and I'm done with cleaning up. I'm done with the mess. I'm done with everything. We've got to get this to change. Um, you know, and where that was becoming reflected so clearly, though, which was unfortunately creating this kind of this hamster wheel of frustration, is the more the parents spoke about that narrative of I'm done, the more I would hear from the child, I'm done. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I hate the bathroom. I do not want to go to the bathroom. I don't want to listen to you talking about it. I don't want to play. I can see through these veiled attempts. No, 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 no. Um, and it was started at this place, kind of this narrative of like, well, my child just really is resistant and it's just so hard and he's just never going to listen to what we're trying to teach. But, but really with unpacking, all of those actions were a reflection kind of of what was being projected from his most trusted people. I don't want to talk about this anymore. And then you'd hear it like clockwork from him. I do not want to talk about this anymore. So how do we take that next step, right? Um, and it's that, again, like we've kind of circled around in our whole conversation of coming back to kind of us and reflecting on our role in this process as the adults of kind of what are we offering to this situation in terms of that readiness piece? Um, you know, and my job is around kind of supporting that journey of self-reflection um, and starting to 
you know, kind of build that sense of curiosity and patience, um, kind of encourage too, quite frankly, to try something just a little bit different and to see if I sit in that space, what happens, right? And so, you know, for him, it was a, I really needed to, I flipped it on its head and I became a little bit like the crazy poop lady. And this was where I got the original term of the poop queen, because everybody here that I worked with knew every single time they showed up, that was all I talked about. <laughs> and I'd show up to sessions with as many jokes as I could possibly come up with. And these didn't need to be fascinating jokes. They could simply be knock, knock, who's there? Poop. And he thought that was just hilarious. So we just did it on repeat over and over and over and over. Um, and I'd shoot mom kind of the knowing wink across the room, right? And I'd tell stories about my dog pooping and he'd want to know about it and he'd want to see pictures of it. And we'll do cartoons poop. Um, and at first I saw mom's kind of her shoulders were by her ears. Like this is weird and uncomfortable. And why are you doing this? Yeah. But I could also see that moment of kind of like, thank God you're the one that's doing this right now, because <laughs> I didn't know what, what different that I could possibly do. Um, and this playfulness is, you know, it's quite contagious because slowly over time, she started then picking up her child from sessions and watching her son for the first time wanting to tell a joke about poop. Um, with playfulness, with humor, um, you know, as opposed to that original kind of narrative that was brought in of he won't talk about it, he won't do it, he just won't. You know, now we're talking about it and he's curious. Why do dogs poop? Where do they poop? Where does poop come from? Um, and that was a really fascinating moment for me because we started in again that space of he just doesn't want to. He's just not gonna listen, he just doesn't want to. Um, you know, and one day we, we were pondering this question, where does poop come from? And I asked, well, how do we know it's time to poop? How do you know you need to go? And he very quickly, very confidently pointed to the clock on the wall. He said, the clocks tell us. Right, Alicia, right? The clocks tell us. <laughs> and I, okay, really? The clock doesn't tell me when I need to go. Um, and we kind of kept going with it and I was thinking about it and for him he truly did have an understanding that it, the clock told him when he needed to go because for his whole life and every single day at school he was going on timed trips and this message was being driven home so strongly that every 15 minutes you have to go to the bathroom that he had kind of lost sight and lost that body connection to even you know touch on this idea that my body's the one that tells me when I need to go to the bathroom. No, I go when the clock points at, at nine. Every day, that's when I go. And I'm not saying that that doesn't necessarily mean that there can't be a helpful cue that we get from clocks, because as we said, we're really, really regular people. Um, but unfortunately for him, we had missed out on this incredibly important learning experience of kind of that interoceptive awareness what does my body tell me? What sensations am I, am I perceiving? Discomfort, pressure, um, jitteriness, whatever that might be. And am I able to actually make sense of that means this? Here was an eight-year-old who did not have that connection. Right? And part of that was because he wasn't watching his parents go to the bathroom at home. Um, nobody at school was modeling that language anymore because he was in a higher grade. Kindergarten grade one, teachers and peers, we do a ton of that modeling because we're all learning how to be doing that toilet training. Um, and for him, the process is slower, right? And arguably he, he still needs that same kind of repetitive coaching and kind of prompted reflection to make that brain-body connection. Um, and as we do that work, right, it shifted from a kind of a tug of war of, I don't want to go when the clock tells me to go. I don't want to go because mom just told me to go again, is now, oh, I feel something. Um, you know, I'm doing my potty dance or I, I can suddenly smell my fart. And that usually <laughs> means I got to go to the bathroom. Right? And these are all really tangible, observable actions that none of us can argue with. They just are. Oh, you just farted. I know when we fart a lot, that means your body is filled with poop. 
And then suddenly he problem solves it and says, oh, I better go. I gotta go to the bathroom. So that learning kind of just keeps going and going and going and that interoceptive piece of building that kind of that internal understanding and awareness is critical, I would say. Um, and is that, you know, if there's a piece of this process that I do find that gets gets unintentionally missed, is that meaning making piece um, and being able to support our child's understanding of where does poop come from, right? How do I make sense of why is my body always creating this stuff? So with him, we made up a super silly story called the poop loop and turned it into a video that talks about how we eat food and then it goes into our stomach and gets turned into goop. And then it goes into the loop into our intestines before <laughs> suddenly we've got poop. Um, and now he had a story he could tell everybody, but it was also a way for him to make sense of why the heck are we always talking about this, right? Well, we always talk about it because we're always eating. And as long as we always eat, we're always going to be having more poop. And suddenly there was a different understanding of what was happening there, right? And a different way to celebrate. Well, what if our, if our loop gets filled with poop? Oh no, what's going to happen? We better get it out of there. We've got to go into the bathroom again. Um, so that's just one example, but kind of a really interesting kind of learning experience for myself as a clinician to go through that learning journey of a child who kind of presented as somebody who would have that social understanding, that interoceptive awareness, even potty trained for years and years and years. And actually, when we slowed down and tried to tease it off, that connection really wasn't there at all. And so, of course, there's frustration from his part. He doesn't want to be told to go to the bathroom again guys, why are you just always telling me to do this? I'm my own person in this world. There was none of that intrinsic understanding, intrinsic motivation piece. Um, and as we've been able to get to that place, he's just taken off in efficacy for that. And it's, it's still a challenge, certainly. And we're not across that finish line yet. Um, haven't found that magic bullet, you know, um, but he is leagues beyond where we were before. You know, and families are very, very comfortable and excited knowing right we're getting there. He's making sense of this. It's not all the time, but it's most of the time. And that feels pretty good for us right now. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking about, <clears throat> well, a few things, but the, the question I had about when children are first, when you're first starting toilet training, do you mm -hmm. bring them to the bathroom every 15, 30 minutes or something just to see if they have to. And I want to make that distinction that, um, that is appropriate to do maybe at the beginning and you described why earlier how you give them that sense of you know you're, you're gonna bring them at the time where they're most likely to have to go after they just had a big glass of water or half hour later whatever <clears throat> and they have that experience and then they get to experience what's happening versus doing that as a regiment until they're eight years old. <laughs> That's a different story because then you have that kind of thing happening um, yeah. that you just described, that whole scenario. And and I love how you just really brought it back to that um, meaning making of that interoception, that sense of what is happening in my body. We always want to have the child have that experience and feel that and that meaning making and storytelling is is part of that but they also have to it can't just be a story that they're not also um internalizing and feeling and so it's sort of this this back and forth between you know where are they developmentally on the functional emotional developmental capacities uh the fedcs are they at a place where they're able to understand that story of um what was it goop loop poop <laughs> the poop loop <laughs> the poop loop I, I love yeah. that i love that you guys could market that on youtube or a tiktok video is now the <laughs> thing right uh the poop loop thing for yeah. um for parents to use i'm sure it would be quite popular and um you know is is the child's awareness there to have that understanding and then they can relate oh that's what's going on inside my body oh okay i get it now uh, but I, I really think it's so important how you brought back, brought it back to that sense of what is happening in my body. Why is this happening in my body? 
this is normal that it's happening to me um all the different things around it and i mean this there was just so much information packed in into our conversation because it, it's so different for everybody and, and like you said like that's why in floor time we look at individual differences uh, every child's sensory profile is different as we talked about at the start of our conversation every cultural experience of the family is totally different and then you know um, everybody's diet is different uh, everybody's sleep patterns are different so it's it's going to be so different for your child and i know that parents really just want to have this rule book like i do this 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 and my child's toilet trained um, but unfortunately in floor time we don't have prescriptions um, it's it's if you want prescriptions you do aba but there's lots of backfiring to that too so we're, yeah. we're think, coming at it developmentally we're looking at where the child is developmentally, how can they make that meaning? How can they understand what's happening in their body? How can we support them, uh, co-regulating with them and, and all of these amazing things that you brought up today? Yeah, we flip it on its head, you know, and I, you know, I could talk through in a much more kind of concrete way. And often where I start is just a readiness assessment, readiness with parents and readiness with a child where we kind of break down these different kind of skill areas because it is complicated as you just said it's really complicated and we can't um, even as expert floor timers tackle the whole thing kind of all at once you know and i will emphasize right that the part of toilet training and being successful with it is you know having parents that are saying i'm ready um you know and kind of purposefully carving time out every day carving headspace out we need to make space. Um, we make space for happiness in our lives. Um, and if I want to focus on toileting, because it is such a big thing, do we as the adults in this moment have space to focus on this right now? Right. And with that, a lot of progress can be made at a lot of different speeds. But like I said, if there is that readiness piece, this willingness to right, stick with it, um, find those moments and be checking in with our children, um, you know, continuing to wait, watch and wonder. That's the go-to. Um, when I'm not sure what to do next in the land of toileting, that's where we go back. What is happening right now for my child? Um, what are they telling me about their readiness for the next step? Or are they letting me know that we should just stay here for a little while? Because this is a really new skill. And it's important to sit here in this space and continue to feel confident at this level. And I'm just gonna wait and wait and wait. And then there's gonna be that moment and it will happen where we see they're saying, okay, I got that one. What's next? So that's so important that you just brought that up because that that's really the heart of what uh, Keith and I spoke about in the podcast a few weeks back where you really have to make sure the foundation is there before you move to the next thing. And, and so, like you said, wait and make sure one thing is mastered before you're rushing on to the next skill. And it makes me think of the developmental growth spurts podcast I did with occupational therapist Maude LaRue, where yeah. sometimes, it, and we didn't even get into this yet, so maybe this will be our last topic. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, we didn't even, we hadn't even covered the fact that um, sometimes our kids are toilet trained and then lo and behold, they start wetting the bed again. And parents are like, what the heck? Like we did this a year ago. Why are they wetting the bed? And that's where that podcast that I'll link back to in the blog post, um, Maud LaRue talked about, uh, having sometimes when our children are going through growth spurts, they've brought in all of this new information their brain is assimilating a new skill, whatever it might be. It could, it could be anything. And their, their brain is so focused on assimilating that, that sometimes something that they've just previously mastered might fall or look like it's regressed because all the energy is going into learning this new skill. So it might be a period of a few weeks to maybe even six weeks and all of a sudden, whoosh, this growth spurt. So your child all of a sudden has tons more language and then they start going to the bathroom again in the toilet. Or if it's not language, it's some other kind of skill that, you know, they had been working on. And, and you know, that's the thing is development happens with our kids. Um, you know, we, we can foster and support it. We can't really force it. We can't push it. We can nudge it a little bit. 
um, and support it. But yeah. when it happens, it happens. And and so, uh, do you do you hear that from parents too sometimes, where they're like, "Oh, I thought we had this, you know," and now they started peeing in their pants again or whatever. <laughs> it's so common, very, very, very common. Yeah, um, absolutely, and can be you know absolutely related to that. That there's you know, these new doors are opening up so many new things for me to, um, you know, focus my attention on right now. Um, you know, all of these different motor capacities all of a sudden, um, which is fantastic. And it's, you know, fueled by this excitement, truly, I think of, wow, look at all these cool new things I can be doing. Um, and with toileting, right, there's always this dance of, is pausing what I'm doing right now more important than what I'm doing? And for kids, no, probably not. Going to the bathroom is not the most exciting thing to be doing. And so if I'm, you know, in this different developmental space and experiencing these types of interactions and learning opportunities that just feel so good, um, I guess kind of intuitively as I'm saying it, it makes sense to me that children are going to say, I want to stay here and do this. That's not as important to me right now. I'll well, and that's all right. I'll just have a little bit of some wet pants for a little bit. We'll, we'll deal with that. Um, you know, we don't, that kind of higher level prioritization comes much level, right? much higher, sorry, um, with these executive functioning processes of prioritizing and planning. When am I going to do this? And usually in that moment for our children, it's, you know, what feels the best for my body right now? Um, and, you know, so I, I think it can be kind of both of those pieces simultaneously um, and interwoven of, you know, there's these new things that I'm chewing on and it's taking kind of all of my energy and focus, that cortical load um, is there, which means I don't have as much capacity right now to make sense of what's happening with my bladder and sequencing out my actions that I would need to take to communicate that I need to go to the right person who's across the room and then figure out where the heck I need to go all the while navigating and regulating my emotional responses to this really overwhelming experience and disappointment because I'm disengaging from something else, right? I can, it's like I do this big long sentence where I'm gonna lose my breath before even finishing kind of all those different things that stack onto each other. Um, but so certainly, certainly, and it's, you know, it's important for us to kind of try to build that understanding of that why piece, why might that be falling out there? Because it's not just that, they've suddenly chosen, I'm going to stop being toilet tra trained now, right? Or that they've, uh, you know, lost the neurological capacity to feel that they need to go to the bathroom. And that could be really quite scary thoughts, right? What, what has just happened to my child? We were, we were here and, and it's gone, um, you know, but remembering that that must mean that they're if their mind's eye is honing in on something else right now. Um, and if we're patient, um, right, we'll be able to get back to a place of kind of full integration where we can have that full view of things and toileting continues to be a part of that routine. But right now there's something else that seems to be much more emphasized for your child. Um, and our best work to do is probably to try to explore and understand that. What is it that's happening right now that is so meaningful for them that this routine, like toileting, that they've become so proficient at and has become such a habit has suddenly fallen away? Something is really important if that's happened. Really, really important. And, and to pack extra pants and extra uh, <laughs> underpants and, and socks and just in general, <clears throat> in general, to not ever shame your child. So, um, I, I mean, I, I think probably one of my earliest memories, because, you know, we, we don't have uh, memories below a certain age because our prefrontal cortex isn't developed yet and all of that. Um, but I, I must have been four, maybe even three, because my brother was a baby and he's two years younger than me. But we were out visiting uh, a great aunt of mine out on the farm and I peed my pants. And I remember this so clearly that I was like horrified. And my mother was just quickly solving things. So she took out my brother's diaper and put a diaper on me. And I was like, no, my cousins will see that I'm wearing a diaper, no. You know, I was so embarrassed that a big girl like me would be seen in diapers. And my mom just saying, I just, 
I, it's so funny because now, you know, she's she's in her 80s and I can still see her saying the exact same thing now. So the memory of her from when she's in her 30s saying, oh, don't worry about it. You can't even tell. Just don't worry about it. Right. Like, come on. It's fine. Don't worry. And me going, no, they're going to notice. This is all I can worry about. Lady. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just the reason I bring up that example is that um, a lot of times we're so easy to brush off our children and. And maybe, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we definitely, luckily my mother didn't shame me. She found a quick solution and just like, let's go with it. Um, right. But the, to be aware that our children have all these feelings around it and awareness around it that we may not be aware right. of ourselves and, and certainly to never shame them for or punish them for going to the bathroom in their pants, which, you know, it's not like they're doing this on purpose. Now, it, that could be a whole other podcast about, about kids who might kids. be doing it on purpose yeah. to get the, the um, reaction out of their parents and stuff. But even then, you wouldn't want to punish because maybe you're just, you know, kind of uh, digging the hole even further. But do you have any last words on that? Yeah, I mean, there's... There's certainly that moment of it's kids are always and adults too, truthfully. We're always testing the waters, testing the boundaries is something we talk about a lot, right? As children are building independence. And, you know, um, maybe like we've got a nephew who's um, you know, typically developing for most most frames of reference anyway, um, you know, and is a little bit older and was at the park the other day and had fully peed his pants and kept on going. His parents like, why did you do that? What's going on? And it truly wasn't just like. I just kind of wanted to see what would happen. I really didn't want to leave. Um, there was no malintent with it. It wasn't that he was trying to get any reaction from his peers or his parents necessarily. It really was a like, let's see what's going to happen next. Um, and in that scenario, it's let's try to let's see what's going to happen next and support the learning in that moment. Well, so you did. And what, what do we need to do now? And, you know, well, I guess I really want to go get changed. And that's kind of a bummer because I didn't want to miss playing. And now I have to miss more time playing. And I have to choose between wearing my younger siblings pull up or going commando. Oh, I kind of hate that I made that choice. But it was just a choice. And we're going to kind of go through that and go through that learning process together. But um, I really try to kind of steer away from and there is that kind of this unfortunate implication that like the child's doing it on purpose on purpose to get a reaction from me why is that so negative right if they're doing it on purpose um there there's a reason and they're trying to see what's going to happen next and oftentimes when they do that that what happens next maybe teaches them something, maybe is something really silly, maybe allows them to leave a scenario that they're really uncomfortable in, right? There's a lot that we can learn there. And, you know, that's one that I hear kind of unfortunately too much kind of from the ABA world of like, well, they're just, they've learned to pee their pants because they know that it gets them out of doing their work. And it flavors the child as if they're misbehaving and they're not listening to the rules. And that's all a, you know, a narrative that's really based off of hierarchy that kind of demands that the child is going to do what I want them to do on my time frame, right? But I still actually think it's really important for us to recognize the child doesn't want to do what is presented in front of them to the extent that they are willing to soil themselves so that they don't need to be in this environment anymore. That is, whoa, that's a heavy idea, I think, right? Um, if we think about ourselves trying to imagine being pushed to the limit of this would be the only way that I could get out of this scenario, I do not want a child to ever feel that way, right? And so again, it's going back to why, what about this environment is so distressing for them that it feels better for the child to soil themselves than continue to participate. And there's probably a whole lot more that we can do as the adults in that scenario to change our approach um, that is going to change the child's response than trying to focus on teaching them that it's bad to wet your pants. We don't wet our pants. Giving them that social story again that says, when you need to pee, you go to the bathroom, right. we pee in the toilet, we flush the toilet. In my opinion, that's not going to touch anything in that scenario. Right? That's this kind of rote learning 
that's just kind of expectation based that in my opinion kind of isn't actually a social story right social stories promote social learning and understanding um, and so right the social stories are more around with meaning that get the punch of like well, we like to go to the bathroom. Mom likes to go to the bathroom by herself and spend a long time in the bathroom. Mom loves how quiet the bathroom can be. And she loves a break by herself. So she likes to pee for a long time. But your cousin, Stu, he couldn't get in and out of that bathroom faster. He doesn't like wetting his pants very much because that's uncomfortable, but he certainly loves to play way more than peeing. So he goes pee quickly. Um, you know, so that's a digression from kind of that original question, but, you know, returning yeah, back the, to that meaning idea, what's happening here and trying to understand that why piece. Just and even if say, a child does like, it on purpose, that doesn't mean that that's wrong. That's telling us a lot about what they're, what they're doing in that moment and how they're feeling. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say is looking at the why behind the behavior. That, that's what we always do in floor time and, and uh, it's no different. With toileting either. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the the website is littlebuddiespeds.ca. Uh, pds peds.ca. Littlebuddiespeds like for pediatrics.ca. Thank you so much, Alicia Payaro, yeah. uh, occupational therapist. It, it's been a very very enlightening podcasts uh, group of podcasts here that I been long overdue to do. Um, thank you so much. I, I know that parents will get a lot from it. I know parents probably are still left with many questions because, you know, we can't gear everything towards specific situations. Just like in all of floor time, we give you all of the tools and all of the, um, not necessarily tools, but all of the insights about different developmental questions and then you can use that to figure it out yourself with your own child and that's the beauty of floor time is mm -hmm. is just wondering why and as you said wait watch and wonder and um and i think you gave us so many good examples that uh hopefully parents are a lot understand the process a lot better so thank you so much for being with us yeah it's my pleasure it's a lot of fun talking about it it's as silly and kind of gross and uncomfortable as it maybe is, it feels good to talk about it and put it out there. And Who knew poop could be such a fun topic? <laughs> I had no idea this would be something I would talk about so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, listeners, check out the blog post at affectautism.com and all the bonuses for members. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks again and tune in again next time. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play or just go to wechoseplay.com. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. We chose play. We have joy every day. I hope you enjoyed both parts of this podcast. Stay tuned again next time.